All right, good morning again. As you can tell, maybe you could hear my voice. I've been a little bit under the weather, so there may be some coughing where I move the mic away. I am so, so deeply sorry about that. But hey, let's get right into the passage this morning. Let's get right into it. All right. Uh, Jesus starts, as you, as you heard Aaron reading, it was such a great job. Did you do a great job? Can we give Aaron a hand? Yeah. What we... What we see in this passage is Jesus gives two illustrations about himself that I think is really important for us to understand. And the first one he gives right in verse one. Let's just start reading. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the, gatekeep- the gatekeepers open. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, all, brought out all of his own, he, does, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, right here I'm going to ask a question. It's the first question that we need to answer is this. Is Jesus your shepherd? Is Jesus your shepherd? Is he your leader? And here Jesus is speaking not in a parable, but he's speaking what the writer calls, what John calls a figure of speech. It's important for us to understand that because a parable usually has one, two major points. A figure of speech kind of points a little bit more like this represents that and that represents this. And so the first thing that I want us to do as we look at this figure of speech that they don't understand, and I'm hoping by the Holy Spirit's power we can understand, is I want us to understand the players, the people he's talking about. The first characters he talked about, did you see it? These are the thieves. He says the thieves and the robbers. This, in Jesus' time, represent the Pharisees. If you remember, who, if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they were a religious group of people that would have considered themselves the leaders of God's people. In fact, they would call themselves the shepherds of God's people, the keep, and even the gatekeepers, those who can go in and out, the pen, the fold of God. And yet Jesus is looking at him saying, you're not that. He's saying, you know who you are? You're the thieves, you're the robbers. And when he uses those words, those words have spe- specific meanings. Like thieves have to do with like absolute trickery. And, and, and robbers meaning like he's pointing towards their violence. It's not a good picture of what he's painting about them. And why is he painting about this? Because this is who they are. They're people who pretend to be leaders of God. They're people who pretend uh, to be the gatekeepers of God's people, but really, they're not laying out the same kind of leadership that is God-honoring that we actually see in the leadership of Jesus in this passage. We see it immediately. Like if you were with us last week, you remember in chapter 9, there's a guy that Jesus heals from being blind. And what did the Pharisees do? They begin to question him. They begin to question his mama, you know, and his dad. And they're like, hey, and they, what, what they want him to do is to divulge dirt on Jesus so they can use them to slander Jesus' name. Why? Because they feel like their leadership is threatened by Jesus' leadership. Immediately what we see about the Pharisees and what we see about so many religious leaders, if you want to point out a phony leader that says he's pointing to God but he's not about God, Here's the thing, is what he's asking you to do, does it lift him up or you up? See, as the Pharisees and their leadership, and we see especially in chapter 9, is they, once, they have, once this man will not agree with them, he won't divulge 
evil things or lies about who Jesus is, they throw him aside. In fact, they tell him this. They say they throw him out of the fold. They cast him out. Essentially, what they've done is they've excommunicated him. And what we see in that story is what Jesus shows up and he says, maybe you're not in their flock, but you're going to be in mine. You're not in their leadership, but you're going to be mine. Maybe some of you have experienced that, that there have been people that have used you and abused you and they've called you to be a part of them. But every time you're with them, it's just pushing you down and picking them up. Jesus says those kind of people are thieves and robbers and they're thieves of robbers of, of, of the worst kind here because they're thieves of robbers of, of, of Jesus's fold, of God's fold. The second character we see is the shepherd. And Jesus is gonna say very clearly, I'm the shepherd. In fact, in a couple of verses after 11, next week we'll look at where he says he's the good shepherd. We're gonna talk a lot about that. But he says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the one that leads the sheep. And he says, there's the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers, Jesus is pointing towards John the Baptist and those other faithful stewards of God's people throughout the history of Israel. And then there's the sheep, which is not humanity, but it's those who follow Jesus. He says, a particular group of people. He says, I'm the leader of those particular group of people. So those are the characters. But what this passage really shows us is the kind of leadership that Jesus has. Look back at verses three through four. As Jesus described, we can see the description of his type of leadership. He says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Here's the first thing we need to see about Jesus's leadership. Write this down. Jesus's leadership is personal. Jesus's leadership is personal. It says he knows them by name and they know his voice. Y'all picking up on that? I want you to think about that for a second. Church, just listen to me. In the sea of all of humanity, what Jesus just said about himself when you are in relationship with him is that he knows you by name. In fact, in other passages of scripture, it says he knows he is, he knows that numbers of hair on your head. Some of us have less than others. I'd like to think he knows each hair a little bit better than everybody else's because there's less of them. Not only does he know your name, but it implies such relationship that you know his voice, that you recognize his voice in comparison to other voices. Think about this for a second. You don't know a leader in your life that is like this, that has the magnitude of leadership that he has, but has the depth of understanding of who you are. Like the president don't know your name. He has no idea you even exist. He can't name the first thing about you. He'd probably mispronounce your last name if he was reading it off a piece of paper. Some of you have bosses, you work at major companies and you have bosses that you have never met, never known, never seen. Here's the sad thing, that some of you express more loyalty to him who does not know you 
than the one that knows you fully. That's an absolute beautiful thing that Jesus, God of the universe, he didn't want to just deal with your sin and go, no, go upon your way. You're, you're a cog in the wheel. He's like, no, no, no. I'm calling you to be sons and daughters of me. I desire a relationship with you. He doesn't just want to do something for you or take something from you. In fact, he doesn't want to take anything from you. He only wants to give to you. But his leadership is personal. What God is calling you to is a personal relationship with him, a relationship that is meant to be marked with depth of intimacy and knowledge of one another. That is absolutely unwarranted. God doesn't need that. He's doing it on behalf of us. Here's the second thing we see about Jesus' leadership. His leadership is by example. Look at verse four. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you see what he's saying right there? Listen, back then, all right, a common way of herding sheep was to push them from the back with other shepherds or with dogs. But the best shepherds, knew their sheep and their sheep followed their example. See what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen to me, everything that you will encounter in your life, I have already walked through. Every difficulty, every betrayal, does Jesus know loss? Yes. Does he know what it means to be slandered, to be wrongfully persecuted? Yes. Does he know what it is to be sinned against? Yes. Does he know what it is to have hunger? Does he know what it is to have thirst? Does he know what it is to be tempted? Yes, he knows all of these things. In fact, Hebrews 4 tells us this, for we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The only thing that Jesus can't relate with you about is actually sinning. That's the only thing. He knows the consequence of sin because he paid it on our behalf. He knows the brokenness of sin because he's seen it around him and experienced it in his own body. But in every other aspect, you can look at Jesus and say, he is an example I should follow. Here is how I should live. He is not distant and he is not uninvolved but he is completely there. Do you see this church? What Jesus is telling us is that Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the leader of Mercy Hill Church. Even though I may be the pastor and there's some elders, every single one of us is bending our knee to the Lord and saying, listen, we wanna hear your voice and follow your instructions. We don't wanna follow culture. We don't wanna do things because they're in vogue or they're cool or because this other church did it. We only wanna do the things Jesus is telling us to do. Why? Because the other voices that are telling us to do something that Jesus isn't telling us to do, those are the voices of a thief and a robber. They're promising life, but they're bringing death. My friends, if this church is going to follow God in the adventure he wants to bring us on, we're gonna have to listen, learn to tune our ears to the voice of God. And when I say that, 
I'm not saying some mystical experience where I hear his voice daily. Jesus has already given us his voice. He's already given us his revelation, amen? He's already told us what is right and what is good and what is true. He's already told us the future. We know how the story ends. We know how it started, we know how it ends, and we know what we must do because of it, and we know how to build a relationship with him because he's already spoken and given it to us right here. Generations after generations that came before you would have, would have done anything to have this in their hands. Now, here's my fear. My fear is that there are many people who are in the fold of God but are misled by the wrong voices because they can't attune their ears to the voice of God. Because what rings in their ears, what rings in our ears is not the word of God, but something else. Something else. And and here's the thing, so much so that I think so many of us are confused that we even attribute things to the word of God that aren't the word of God because we're so bitterly or so biblically illiterate. Let me just give you some examples. I'm just going to read some quotes and we're going to be like, is, and it's going to be like a quiz. Is this in the Bible or is it made up? All right. Here's the first one. And by the way, these are wildly popular. I've heard lots of people who love Jesus say these things. Some of them in the Bible, some of them not. Okay. All right. Here's the first one. God helps those that helps themselves. God helps those who help themselves. All right. No, that's Benjamin Franklin, right? That's not the Bible. It's not even based upon the Bible. In fact, that is completely opposite of the gospel. God helps those that can't help themselves. That's the gospel, that me and you are broken in our sin. Me or you are lost and in need of salvation, in need of a God to do something that we can't do for ourselves. And that God finds those kind of people and he, he helps them. Okay, here's another one. God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. You ever sat next to somebody and they're like, somebody's going through a hard time and somebody looks and goes, dude, you know what? God, God just gives you the hardest battle. He gives his strongest soldiers. That's what God thinks of you. Let's think about this for a second. That implies two things. All right, first thing it implies is that God is not in control of the future and he has a mission that if you don't accomplish, then his plans don't work. So he's got to find the best soldier to do that. That's not true. The second one is, okay, well, maybe God's in control, but he's just sadistic. He likes giving people that can take hard things, hard things to see their breaking points. That's weird and totally unbiblical. Here's another one. God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. He will regularly give you more, okay? Uh, than we can handle because in our brokenness and in our weakness and where we are insufficient, we learn that he is sufficient and that we need to be dependent upon him. God will regularly give you things that you are not able to do so that he can do them and you go, oh my goodness, God is great and incredible. It's not because I'm great or incredible. Here's the last one. God would want you to follow your heart. Let me read in Jeremiah 17, 9. 
what God says about human hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Why would God tell you to follow something that is deceitful above all things and desperately sick and cannot be understood? What we see in scripture is that our hearts are broken in sin and we can't be trusted with ourselves. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Lord. Follow the one who's not desperately deceitful, desperately sick or deceitful and, and wants to be understood. My fear is, guys, so many of us, we don't know our shepherd's voice because we haven't listened to him. See, the sheep that followed the shepherd's voice, they followed it because they knew the goodness of the shepherd. They had seen his character on display. They had seen his provision. They had seen him find them shelter in storms and in difficulty. It's only, guys, listen to me, you're only going to learn to hear, to tune your ears to the Spirit of God, to learn the voice of God when you actually spend enough time with God that you can differentiate his voice from all the other counterfeit voices out there. Who is your shepherd? Verse seven, Jesus says, when they don't figure it out, he gives them another illustration. He says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. Now, Jesus comes up with this incredible picture. He says, I am a door. Ever describe yourself as that? Anybody going to be that at Halloween? Going to be a door? It's, a, it's an illustration. Like, what is he getting at? Like, why is that important? Well, what is a door? A door creates access to an enclosed space. See, when Jesus says, I am the door, he's saying, I am the access point to God. I am the point, I am the way that you get into the family of God. The, the Pharisees would be infuriated by this because they're like, no, we're the access point. Following the, the, all these rules and following this, this is how you get into there. And he's saying, no, 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 I am the access point. And he's actually pointing at the Pharisees in a lot of ways. I think he's pointing in a lot of ways saying, hey, they're not a door, they're a wall. They're a stumbling block for people coming into the fold of God. Here's a real question, men and women, especially as Christ followers in the room. This is a question for you. Your day-to-day -day life, are you mirroring what you see in God or are you mirroring what you see in the Pharisees? What I mean by that, are you an access point to God or are you, are you a wall to people coming to know God? Is the way that you live your life, where you live, work, and play, are you a stumbling block to those that they look at you and they see the incompatibility about what you say and what you do, and they go, oh, I'm turned off to that? Are you the kind of person that lives a life that follows Jesus, that honors God and loves others to a point where people begin to have curiosity about who God is? Whose behavior, 
Whose behavior are you mimicking? Don't be a wall, be a door. Not the door, the door is Jesus. But we can be people that create access because God loves using people to bring him to us. Every single person in this room that follows Jesus, there is somebody God used in your story to make it happen. None of you went into a cave and God just revealed himself. He can do that. He's done that in time, but I'm willing to bet every single one of you, God's plan A, God's what God wants to do is use gospel transformed people to help see transformation happen in other people's lives. You're not responsible for their salvation. You're not responsible for their rejecting of God. But I'm gonna tell you this, guys. You can be a wall that people have to overcome in order to follow Jesus. This past week, I took the the staff on a festival and right outside this festival, there's a group of people holding up signs. And they're screaming and they're saying the word gospel. But I'll tell you what, I listened to them for 30 minutes. I couldn't tell you how to come to Christ. I could tell you all the things they're saying I'm doing is wrong. And I was just watching the people next to me as they're double burdened, these people, they're yelling at them. They're saying all these awful things. And I'm like, this is the fruit of what they're doing here. And I didn't have to talk to them because I've talked to so many people like that, that I know what they were teaching. And I just kept, I remember I just looked at one guy, I said, hey, look, don't, don't associate them with Christ. That's not the picture of Jesus. That's not the gospel. We can do it by being super judgmental. We could also do it by living a completely licentious life where we live completely not different than the rest of the world. But pretend that we do because we go to church on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm not saying this, that anytime you sin, you're stopping people from coming to Jesus. But I am telling you this, that your sin affects more than just you. And when you do sin, you know what blows the world's mind? It's not when you cover it up like the rest of the world, but you come to humble, humbly before them and apologize. When you humble yourself before God and you lay bare what is already bare before him and others and confess your sin instead of covering it up and pretending like you got it all together, everybody knows you're lying. I'd be lying if I said I was like that, that I got it all together. Don't be a wall, be a door. Look at verse nine. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. Write this down. As the door provides access and security for the flock, so Jesus provides access and security in God as the door provides access and security for the flock. So Jesus provides access and security in God. See, when Jesus says, I am the door, he's saying, I am the access point. Because the reality is before we knew God, every single one of us was outside the fold of God. Because of our sin and brokenness. And now God has created a way and it's Christ's. He's created access to God. And he didn't have to, like God didn't gain anything from us being a part of his fold that he didn't already have. It's purely of his mercy and grace. 
that he has given us access to him. Guys, if you are looking to anything else to put you in the fold of God other than Jesus, you are walking through the wrong door. Your works aren't enough. Some of you are like, if you're answering that question, what puts you in a relationship with God? You say, man, well, my always going to church or my mom's always brought me to church. Or, I was baptized as a baby or, or because I did this religious thing at this religious place or because I, my good will somehow outweigh my bad. What Jesus is telling us right here is none of those things are gonna get you where you wanna go. The only place you're gonna be in right relationship, the only place you're gonna find that you're gonna be in God's fold is through the access of Jesus. And how it was accomplished was this, is that Jesus lived a perfect life 2,000 years ago. He came, put on flesh, and he, he laid aside the advantages of his divinity and lived the life that we were meant to live perfectly. Never sinned. And then he died the death that we deserved. That on the cross, God the Father laid all of the sins of the world on the person of Jesus and punished sin, past, present, and future in the person of Jesus. And anyone who calls upon the name of Christ, anyone that recognizes the truth that he is the son of God that he, and that he is raised from the dead and reigns in heaven, anyone that believes and follows in God and accepts that reality will have relationship with God and he will accredit that person his righteousness because your sin has already been accredited to Christ and he has already paid the price for it. Amen. Is that good news, church? Look what else he says. Not only does he say he's the access point, but he says he, he creates security and safety. He says he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Do you see the promise God is giving his people? Church, you see that? Jesus is telling his people the extent of his security and provision. That when you are in my fold, whether you're in the safety of my pen or we go out to graze or wherever we go or wherever you follow me, you have safety and security because I am with you. That doesn't mean you won't suffer. That, means you, that does not mean you won't be in any storms. But here's the greatest reality of it is that no matter what difficulty you bump into in this life, your future is completely secure for eternity in Christ. That no matter what brokenness you have to walk through, no matter what difficulty is there, one, Jesus is with you, and two, your future is held secure in his hands. And he goes before you. So you can't lose. Do you understand that? You can't lose. Because in the end, you reign with him eternally. Verse 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. So Jesus asks us to be a part of his flock. He calls us into it. He provides safety and security. You know what else is the thing he provides? Life. And life abundantly. You see that word abundantly at the end? It's the idea of this. 
You know what trees bear, fruit-bearing trees bear fruit? What that is? It's excess life. That the tree has had so much nutrients, water, sun, whatever it needs, that it has begun to produce extra life that creates life. Sometimes when it gets enough of that, there's like trees will be so heavy, the branches will be laying down with excess life. That's what Jesus is talking about. And by the way, he's not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. Because if that got you where you need to be, that's what he would be offering. But that would only last you 70, 80 years. The life he's offering is that we would have peace with God and joy in our hearts, even in the moments of absolute difficulty, no matter whether we're in the valley with our shepherd or we're on the mountaintop, no matter if we're in the pasture or in a place or we're in the desert, is that wherever we would be, God would be with us and that would sustain us in a place that we would have life and life abundantly, even where life should not exist. That's Jesus's leadership. That's the access that he wants to give us. See, God doesn't want anything from you. The leaders in the story, what he's juxtaposing himself to is those leaders who are wanting to use the people in order to build themselves up. That is not what Jesus is doing at all. Jesus has come to lay his life down so that we would be counted as sons and daughters of him. That is what Jesus is offering, abundant life, full life, life not contained or controlled by circumstance. And Jesus is saying that he is the door to it. So here's the last question. Is Jesus the door to the life God is offering you? Or is your door into God's fold wrapped around your performance? where you weigh your goods against your bads. Where you have to get your rights above your wrongs. Or maybe your door is your heritage. Because I grew up Christian, or I grew up Catholic, or I grew up this, or I grew up that, whatever. It's the wrong door. Jesus is clearly saying, you want access to the Father? It's found here in me. And where it's leading you, it's the safety and security where I'm giving cannot be taken. And what I am offering is the life that you've been longing for, the abundant life in the Lord where you experience joy, peace, patience. Where you understand your relationship with God and you're not shaken by the context that's around you. Mercy Church, may we take hold of that. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to look at your word. Thank you for these two pictures, Lord. We do want to have that relationship with you, Lord, that we hear your voice above all others, that we follow you above all others, that we understand that you are the access point and we stop trying to do it on our own. Jesus, may we see you for who you are. And may we trust you with everything we have. Knowing that you're the king. 
You're the God of the universe. It's so humbling to think that God knows me by name. And that God wants me to know his voice, to know his words, to know his thoughts, to know his, and have a relationship with him. That is, that is too great for me to understand. So because of that, Lord, we're going to worship you. Amen.